Hello, I'm Alice Murray, editor of The Drawdown, and today I am rejoined by Mike Dickey of MUFG Investor Services and Hamish Mayer of BMO Global Asset Management to continue our conversation on whether or not data needs to be standardised. In the last episode, we looked at the problem itself. Essentially, how did we get here? What are the main obstacles when it comes to both standardization and digital data transmission, focusing in on side letters, timeliness, and accuracy? Today, we're going to be digging deeper into what is at the heart of reporting, templates and guidelines, moves towards self-serving reporting, the impact of retail investors on private equity information flows, and non-financial reporting, namely ESG. So to kick us off, Hamish, um, coming over to you, let's think about what the industry is doing to improve reporting. What's your take on initiatives such as the ILPA template? There's definitely been help in terms of standardising approaches to valuation. Um, and, you know, this is something that, you know, is a big uh, topic uh, with our investors, with our boards, etc. You know, how do you value things? I mean, there have been guidelines in place for quite a long time and you know these get refined from time to time they are guidelines and therefore you don't get complete standardization but you know there is more standardization now than there was you know 20 years ago um i think in terms of uh, you know reporting i mean ilpa has obviously been very active particularly in north america it has a much lower profile over here um, I think when that um, initiative started, that organization started, it was absolutely essential because they were coming from quite a low base, you know, quite a sort of mixed uh, bag in terms of standards across industry. And it, and it has, you know, it has definitely helped. Uh, but still, as far as I can see, it's still quite a wide variety in the way that um, <coughs> people um, report. Um, so it's, it's probably an incomplete incomplete task i mean it doesn't i have to say it doesn't um affect us you know we're not that aware of what ilpa are up to mainly because probably only about 15 percent of our investments are in north america most of them are in europe as, as i said it's it's more of a it's more of a north american oriented um organization i guess i mean you know from our perspective i think the impact has been it certainly to your point it's, it's kind of helped raise the bar on reporting um, yeah. standards. Um, you know, the, we have quite a few clients using the, you know, the capital call and the distribution template and the fee template as well. And I guess, you know, theoretically, it's certainly improved transparency and, and has driven some common reporting. But I guess from a service provider's perspective, um, you know, it hasn't really changed how we're disseminating that information, right? You're still getting an Excel file and a PDF. Um, we're, we're still sending the capital call notice and the distribution notice alongside it. So there's a lot of kind of duplicative content. Um, yeah. but you know, it, it's giving more transparency, but you know, it's not necessarily reducing the effort to, to, to get there. And I guess you can even argue, you can even argue that, you know, we've, we've created another deliverable to check. Um, you yeah. know, so I, I do think, I do think these have helped improve standards and, and drive probably even a little more uniformity. Um, but, um, you know, I think that we've, we've still got a ways to go. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. I mean, the, you know, the sort of checking aspect, I mean, I suppose the question is, where, at which point does the checking take place? Does the checking take place before the 
you know, the data enters, you know, the client system, if you like, or once it's in the system, uh, where it can then be sort of, you know, re reviewed, um, everything can be re reviewed together. Um, and ideally, it's the latter rather than, you know, uh, being done sort of piecemeal as it comes in. Um, so um, you're never going to get get away from some form of review or, or checking um, because you know people do make mistakes sometimes um, at at all stages in the process. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess the other point that you know we've got the industry bodies trying to deal with it, with you know kind of raising the bar on standards, but. You know, I think the other way, and, and Alice, you touched on it earlier, is, you know, one is, you know, there's been a whole niche industry kind of driven around, you know, providing technology solutions and data solutions. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, you know, the, the obvious one, which we're very big in, which is, you know, outsourcing. So, you know, your administrator. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, for us, I mean, this is you know, like we touched on earlier. It's given us a chance to differentiate. Um and, and how we can add value to clients processing that data and managing it. Um, and, and we do think that gives us a competitive advantage, but, you know, I, I think over time, I wonder whether technology is going to kind of start tackling even, you know, that competitive advantage that we have um, and, and things get easier and easier. Um, from, you know, from your, from your view, Hamish, do you guys have long-term, investment plans to, you know, improve your technology around how you guys are, are processing data or, you know, are, are yeah. you, are you thinking about making it someone else's problem, so to speak, yeah, and outsourcing yeah. it? You're absolutely right. I mean, it's a, um, it's definitely a, it's, um, it's a very kind of uh, real consideration and, you know, partly it depends where you're coming from. You know, if you already have capacity to do some of this in-house, um, uh, you know, you're used to it. Um, you generally feel that you have control over it. Uh, do you want to sort of, you know, pass over that control to a third party? That's always been the, the kind of reluctance aspect. Um, and uh, people sort of worrying that they, you know, they, they, they lose control and therefore they, you know, they could be vulnerable if, if the service isn't as good as they could get uh, internally. Having said that, you know, if you were starting off now with a private equity firm now, I mean, you would be mad not to consider um, outsourcing, you know, a whole series of things. Um, and the, the, the companies and the services do exist that to be done quite efficiently. I mean, and that has definitely improved a lot in the last, you know, decade or so. Um, and, um, you know, labor is expensive, um, you know, a lot of this stuff requires quite skilled people, but they, um, you know, they can spend too much time on, on, uh, on this type of sort of reporting stuff when, you know, actually you're really paying them for their analytical ability and their ability to find deals and implement deals and, you know, um, deal with people and, build relationships and make sort of judgments and all that. And that's the, that's the kind of, if you like, the high order stuff that you're actually paying them for. And you want to get them away from uh, uh, doing the, uh, you know, still skilled, but, um, you know, different activities that, um, 
you know, as I say, a lot of it could actually be done much more efficiently by other skilled people aided by, um, you know, um, uh, good uh, systems. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a constant, um, you know, I wouldn't say a constant, it's a regular, it's a regular consideration, you know, how much of this should we do in-house? Um, how much uh, of our team should be focused on, if you like, the operational side of things, which would include all this, and how much should be on the, you know, the investment side, you know, which is actually going off and meeting companies and um, deciding whether or not you back them. And uh, it's, it's quite a, con it's quite a, um, you know, a conflict. Uh, my view is that you're never going to get away completely from the, from the sort of operational side, and that you know, as a businessman, you probably shouldn't expect to. Um, um, it's a necessary part of um, having a kind of overall view of your um, enterprise, but um, not everybody sees it like that. You know, they, um, as I said earlier, most investment managers in the private equity space, I mean, the thing that gets them out of bed in the morning is not, um, let's produce a brilliant report to the investors. It's actually, you know, I'm going off to go and do a deal and I'm going to you know, fund a management buyout in, in um, you know, exciting sector and um, hopefully make a lot of money for my clients and by extension for myself. Um, and um, those individuals are generally not uh, ones that, um, you know, they don't go into it because of the uh, reporting and, and administration side. I think we are seeing though, but and I think probably on this within this mindset is I think we're definitely seeing this kind of increase on the operational front from GPs where they're having to invest in tech and their accounting functions and their HR functions and ESG, which you know, in some in one mindset is taking them away from the core activity of deal doing. But I think more recently I've seen that possibly it's a way to get them back into being more streamlined on deal doing. And what I'm getting at is I'm, I've spoken to a few technology heads at PE firms recently who are looking into um, self-serving data so that yeah. it completely stripping out any reporting and you log into their system and take exactly what it is you need whenever you need it. Mm -hmm. um, and and just yeah takes away the need to, for that to be done on a quarterly basis or whatever it is as soon as that information is is there it's there and you go and grab it when you need it um which you know that's a huge investment and outlay at the beginning to do it but if these firms get there suddenly that's a whole essentially it's a whole portion of their tech and their ir outlay currently just goes away mm. Yeah, I think you're unlikely to get to that point because, um, I mean, that's like saying, you know, we should um, scrap kind of table service and restaurants and the entire um, industry can move to the sort of buffet system, which is popular in Scandinavia, but, um, you know, um, not most other places. Investors do expect to be, um, you know, properly briefed and to have it presented to them in a kind of digestible format. Um, and actually the sort of... The, easy, the more easily digestible, the better, I think. I mean, they, they're busy people. Um, I mean, even if you do produce a very sort of clear and sensible reports, then they, you know, that's not always, you know, good enough. I mean, um, they have to read the reports. Um, the information needs to sort of stand out and be sort of clear to them. 
Um, I mean, we, we, you know, I mean, we've had investors that ring up and say things like, you know, what was the return in the last quarter? Um, and we'd say, well, we got the report last week. Have you read the first sentence of the first paragraph? You know, and um, and they, oh, oh. <laughs> that sort of thing. I mean, that that does still happen. So, um, um, yeah, I, I think the, the situation you describe, Alice, is probably a bit of a sort of utopian situation. It would certainly help um, uh, help help GPs a little bit, but I, I think it could make comparison across different uh, funds and, um, you know, um, comparing performance and things that could, could end up being, you know, chaotic, actually. Mm. I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting one in, in the sense that I, I'm sure that there'll have to be some level of transition um, and, and education of, of that investor base as they kind of push towards the self-service aspect. I mean, I guess, you know, again, as an administrator, we, you know, we have to do that for our clients. So, you know, clients need access to their data. It's the same, you know, if you, you kind of think of it, at least this is kind of the same concept as, you know, we, we are kind of the, the, I don't want to call us the data owners, but, you know, we're the people, you know, processing that data day in, day out, and they want to be able to see what we're doing and they want access to that data. And I think you know, more of our clients want more data ownership um, but they also want, you know, an easy, an easy, you know, user interface for them to to view that data, even if it's basic things like cash balances or, you know, a transaction report. Um, they there is more of a and more of a push for for self service. In, in in I mean, it's been coming for a while on the private equity side, mm -hmm. but um, you know, for us, we also service a lot of hedge funds, and you know, I feel like the the demands that they make for that level of data are, are far greater than, than what we see on the PE side. I mean, we've built a lot of bells and whistles, but take up has always been a challenge. Um, but I, I do think that over time, you know, it's just, it's almost a generational thing. You wonder, um, you know, certain people might be used to just going out and getting that information themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's probably yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the sort of things that we think were, you know, improvements would be really valuable be where you could sort of drill into getting um, fundamental data on the underlying companies and that that would be, um, you know, accessible. I mean, most, I mean, there, there are, you know, there are modules in, in eFront, et cetera, which are designed for that, but you still have to get the data off the GPs and it has to come in the right format. Now, you can send... Um, you know, an Excel spreadsheet around all of them and say, could you fill this all up and send it to us every every month? And then you'll probably get about 65% compliance with that. And therefore, you know, the output was not as useful as it could be. Um, but that type of thing, uh, if that was able to, if there was a sort of more straightforward way of doing that, that would be, you know, hugely valuable to us from an analytical point of view. Um, whether we're going to get there, I'm not sure because... You know, this is private data for a start. It's commercially sensitive data. Um, and um, although they, you know, they do do sort of trust us, it doesn't, they are quite, they can be quite reluctant. Um, and it feeds directly into the, you know, the management information that they, they, um, they're expected to, these companies are expected to produce by the private equity house that is the lead on the deal. And there will be, 
um, different requirements for different houses. Um, and, uh, you know, so these are far from standardized. I mean, the actual content is probably the same, but the format of it and, you know, the, the, how it's laid out will be, um, you know, will vary hugely because there'll be individual financial controllers or whatever will have designed, uh, you know, their own sort of template from scratch. Um, but I think, you know, that, that could improve quite a lot and that would certainly be, um, that would certainly be useful to us. And it would certainly be useful to our investors on an aggregated basis or a sort of broken, broken down by sort of sector basis. Um, I mean, they tend to have, investors tend to have a sort of, they, you know, people that are operating in the public markets um, tend to expect the same level of disclosure and information in the private equity markets, which is in some ways is quite laudable, in other ways it's completely unrealistic. You know, they're just, you, know, you don't have a daily pricing mechanism in, in um, private equity. Um, yes, you have quarterly and sometimes monthly management accounts and things like that. But I mean, public companies don't publish their management accounts. You know, you don't see their monthly sales figures. Um, generally speaking, it's, it's done on a quarterly or, or six monthly basis. Um, but a lot of them will have, will ask questions which would be, um, uh, you know, appropriate for a public company, but actually aren't practical for a, a private company. Um, you know, for example, you get people that think that um, we should have monthly NAVs for private equity um, funds, even though the full valuation is only done on a three monthly basis. So the monthly NAV is at best going to be a kind of sort of interim estimate, if you like. And therefore, you know, do you really need monthly NAV to be able to um, assess how well things are doing when, you know, the investment is going to be in there for years, you know? You, you know, quarterly should probably be enough. Um, but it doesn't stop people asking for it. Mm. And surely that question's only going to get louder as um, private equity opens up and brings in, well, I mean, you have high net worth uh, investors in, in your funds. And, mm -hmm. But obviously there's a degree of sophistication there, but... Um, you know, there's there's more and more moves towards retail investors coming into into the asset class, and and I think that's going to be such a, an interesting crunch point in terms of the information flows and expectations. I mean, both from a technology point of view, consumers having good tech, good banking tech, but also from an information standpoint, consumers having um, levels of information that they see on the public market it will be absolutely. Um, expected in, in private markets. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think if you, you know, the public markets, if you compare what has happened in the public markets in terms of the information that is available to, you know, a, a private investor, a retail investor now compared with what they had historically, it's, it's, um, it's quite astonishing. I mean, you know, if you're on one of the investment platforms today, you know, you have access to information which is much more detailed and, and much more timely and probably richer than was available to an institutional investor 30 years ago or even 20 years ago. Um, and, um, you know, do they actually use all that information? I don't know. Or do they actually understand it all? You know, good question. But, you know, I think if you were, 
you know, I, as a as a investment professional, if I if I didn't actually have to work all day at private equity, um, you could probably be quite effective as a day trader based upon the, the information that's available. Uh, you know, to the, the sort of you know energetic retail investor, there's tons of information out there, and I think that those pressures will come into private equity, um, and a lot of that will require. Um, raising of the kind of general awareness of some of the terminology. I mean, I always find that people who are not um, familiar with private equity, they don't actually, they don't actually, they don't fully understand all the terminology. And, and that's not just a question of giving them a kind of quick briefing on what it means. It takes a lot longer than that for them to fully understand that. And that's, you know, people that are quite sophisticated investors in other asset classes. Uh, so, so that's going to take time, um, and that will be an actual function of private equity penetrating further into into portfolios. I mean, most institutional portfolios only have you know five or six percent in private equity, um, and some of them don't have anything at all. Uh, so, um, you know, if it was ten or fifteen percent, then you'll probably discover that the general awareness will have gone up a lot. Um, I think there's a big issue in terms of uh, facilitating retail or quasi-retail investors to get involved in private equity. Um, and they need, that needs to be presented to them in a, in a kind of accessible format. I would argue we do that already through our investment trust and there are several other investment trusts. But you know, the scale of those vehicles uh, compared to the potential um, appetite is still quite small. And um, again, investment trusts are sort of you know, specialist subject that not everybody is is conversant with, um, and I, but you know, technology is going to is going to help uh, here. There's no doubt about it. Um, increased transparency, standardisation, you know, ability to compare and contrast um, investments. That's you know, it's, it's only going in in one direction. I think. I, I do wonder how everyone keeps talking about retail, and I, I guess. You know, my personal experience is, you know, I haven't seen a tremendous move in that direction. I know we've seen mm. more directionally, you know, tapping into the private wealth clients, but that still involves a, a downstream sale through, you know, those banks or private wealth, you know, kind of client advisors. And, um, you know, the, the level of reporting that we produce for those types of clients is, is probably less sophisticated than what we produce for our, our larger you know, GPs who have institutional investors. So mm. uh, I, I, I know you mentioned that you have some feeder funds um, that, mm. that yeah. you know, are, are tapping into that market. Is that the, is that kind of the same experience that you're seeing? Yeah. I mean, I think um, you're quite right. I mean, you've got to, there's a balance, isn't there, between um, kind of baffling them with lots of, um, lots of information that they, they don't need and they, they can't fully appreciate and, um, you know, oversimplifying it. But we, you know, we, with, you know, our private bank clients, I mean, basic things like explaining to them that, you know, there's a, you know, you make a commitment and we'll draw the money down over a period of time in tranches as we do deals and you will get a sort of notice and then you'll have to give us the money and all this sort of stuff. That's quite an alien concept to most of them because they're used to just giving you a chunk of money and uh, expecting you to get on with it. And, and, and actually the process of, of being a limited partner where you are on the hook for an absolute amount of money, but that money will be called from you over a period of you know several years in dribs and drabs. That's quite a kind of 
that's sort of philosophically quite uh, a challenge for some of them. For some of them, it's far too much of an administrative hassle and they just, um, it turns them off completely. And then the other side is that they all, um, they're used to dealing with uh, liquid security. So if they change their mind, they, they, they feel they can sort of cash out immediately. And when they realize that in private equity, you can't actually do that. You know, so they'll say, well, that's all very interesting. And, 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 and what's the redemption process? You know, how can I redeem my units? Is I hang on, no, it doesn't work like that. You know, you know there isn't any redemption process, and um, uh, so so there's quite a lot of education required. And you're probably right. Um, the, I mean, they actually get the same reports as as the institutional um, investors. You know, whether they read it all and you know go through all the the detail in the back of it. I'm, I don't know. I mean, if I were them, I probably wouldn't. I would just read the summary. Looks all right. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> what about when it comes to uh, kind of non-financial information, information that's, um, I think, still, you know, very much within this conversation is trying to be standardised. I'm thinking specifically around ESG, where we've got um, obviously new regulation coming through in the EU that's that's trying to to create taxonomies and and standardise the disclosure, um, and then also things like the UNPRI and and SDGs. Um, what you know how. How much does that impact you and, and the way that you want to receive information? Do you, do you want to be able to compare apples for apples across your funds or are you happy for it to come into side letters? Typically, as far as I'm, I know, it is all kind of existing in side letters at the moment. But mm. is that something you want to be able to kind of datarize and, and put into a chart? Say? Yeah, well, absolutely. And I think there's going to be a huge increase in the data required. I mean, I think things like the sustainable finance um, reporting directive. Um, I think that's been conceived at quite a high level without people necessarily thinking through the consequences of the, you know, data creation and transmission that that's going to require. And it's, it, it will take some time to settle down. I mean, it comes in next year. I think it's a very um, live issue for everybody that has a, a private equity fund and how they're going to report on that, where they're going to get the information, what the content's going to be. Um, there are going to be um, various kind of weak links in the chain. Um, and, um, you know, I think it's going to be a huge challenge. I mean, I, I think it's it's probably a big opportunity for the uh, fund administrators and, uh, and others that can you know, provide uh, modules that will help with this. Um, I mean, one of the key things we think is that, you know, for, for companies at the underlying company level, for them to produce lots of this extra information it has to be of, of practical use to them it has to be of use to them in terms of running their company it has to give them some sort of edge and, um, and therefore if you can come up with kpis that are useful from a from a esg or impact point of view but are also you know sensible and helpful for that company to monitor then you've got a much better chance of getting that data uh, but even then that requires a process of um you know, negotiation and persuasion that um, they can produce that um, raw information. And then once you've got that, you would then go back to all the same uh, discussion we just had about the basic financial information. 
you know, how does the spot format does it come in? Is it is it comparable from one company to another? Like learn from one fund to another. Um, you know, how subjective is it? Um, you know, I would argue it's better to get some reasonable quality subjective information, which may not be in a completely standard format, than not to get anything at all. Um, and I think we're just starting on a whole new journey of, um, um, you know, um, establishing, I mean, it's a whole new industry in its own right. Um, and it's not going to, it's not going to go away. I mean, there may be, there may be some, I think there's, there's, there's quite possibly some unrealistic expectations in how much information will come out and, and also how useful and informative that information will be. I'm sure there'll be a bit of, um, a bit of uh, disappointment there, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't, uh, shouldn't try. Yeah. I mean, on the SF, sorry, um, from, from an ESG perspective, I mean, we've recently launched a couple products and, and, you know, we'll, we're developing our product around SFDR. I think you're right. It is catching a lot of, you know, even though it's been kind of coming, 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 um, you know, there's still a lot of unknowns, you know, they released, I guess the data sets or the, you know, the people are going to have to comply to. And, and even that's kind of a reduction on what they initially proposed, which is probably the right move as far as, you know, getting people to adopt and comply. But I do think that, that, you know, between that SASB TCFD, which I know a lot of people have signed up to, um, you know, these, these are going to drive a lot of standardization on how people are reporting those data sets. I mean, SFDR will have to, right? It's, a, it's going to be a regulatory report. Um, or, and so for us as an administrator, that is going to be, you know, the, you know that's absolutely something where we're, we're working hard to step in and fill that void. So mm -hmm. I, I think you're right, Hamish, in, in that regard. Mm -hmm. Well, thank goodness the people like you are helping because otherwise it's going to be very difficult. <laughs> Somebody's got to somebody's got to pick up the work, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. going to do the actual real cool stuff. If we reached a kind of standardisation utopia where we found, you know, we got there, we got the taxonomy, everyone agreed. Yes, this is this is the information as a GP that I want to give and as an LP that I want to receive. What would that mean for you? What would that do? It certainly would, it would save, you know, the, the key thing is it would save labour, it would save time and more time, as I've mentioned earlier, could be spent on the, you know, the sort of analytical function of thinking about the data, if you like, rather than sort of trying to find it. Um, you know, I do think there is, you know, that utopia is probably not going to be um, achieved in private equity just because the nature of the data is you know, the data always has to be created. It's not public data. It's not. It's not standardised and formatised at its source, and therefore there's always going to have to be a process of transformation, which I suspect will never be fully complete. But um, you know, we could get some way along that line, and um, you know, we could certainly. Uh, it, it could uh, make make our lives uh, a bit easier, but then it might not do because if everybody has a lot more spare time to. Um, uh, you know, focus on those, you know, the, the decision making, if you like, then, you know, the market will be, you know, more competitive, it will be more efficient. And, um, you know, the valuation anomalies and opportunities that we look for will, will be, you know, competed away quite quickly. So it, it will just make the market more efficient, and, and potentially, therefore, less 
less um, capable of yielding the, the premium returns that we go into it for. Um, yeah, I think that's that would be the logical uh, conclusion of that. And Mike, for you, I mean, I guess standardization would make your life much easier, but what do you think kind of, do you agree on kind of overall impact, it, overall impact that it might take some of the kind of mystery away from the overall industry? I guess, I mean, it's, it's a, that's a really interesting point. I, I never really thought about it in the, in the kind of the, the concept of would that lower returns on the investments themselves? I guess, you know, we always look at the, the operational aspect of it, you know, being the administrator we are. Um, you know, we've, you know, we've invested a lot of time, blood and sweat in, um, you know, streamlining these processes and automating a lot of that data transmission and, and you know, scraping those, those, those files and ingesting it and normalizing it and spitting it back out to our clients. So, you know, for us, I think, I, I wonder how on board, you know, those who've made those investments will be <laughs> keen to participate in, in driving that standardization. You know, I think um, for, for us, you know, uh, at its face, I, I would say that we would absolutely welcome the lower costs. And I think that would probably reduce risk and, and, and probably provide a better experience for, for a lot of, a lot of the, the industry. Um, but I guess the question will be is, is, you know, is technology moving at such a pace that it, maybe it doesn't even matter anymore and that, and that we, you know, everyone is, is quite happy with the way they're, you know, they're able to process their own data and, 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 you know, make those, I guess, you know, whether a competitive advantage of using that data, whether that you're a manager or, or even a, a service provider, um, you know, whether that is something that people want to do away with. Um, it's interesting. Uh, I, I hope someday we get there. I, 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 to Hamish's point, I wonder, you know, whether we will, it is kind of a utopia. Indeed, I couldn't agree more. It, it does absolutely remain to be seen. Um, but for now, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. So thank you both hugely for your insights and your musings on this rapidly developing facet of the market. And thank you very much for listening.